0: This morning, we have opportunity to talk about, as you just heard Peter read, the tithe. And I want to say a couple of things by way of preface one, is that this seems to me to be a way that God has intended an exercise, a practice, a habit that's designed for the increase of reverence and the... Gladness of not only ourselves, but most particularly others who are left out of the economic game. But it's necessary to say at the outset, by way of caveat, that it's entirely possible that some of you in here who are already tithers who you have been for a long time, who used to tithe even when you were nine years old and you cut the widow lady's yard or mowed it, if you didn't use scissors, and she gave you a dollar and you were instructed to give 90 cents to yourself and 10 cents at church the next day. Some of you have been doing this a long time. Some of you do this still. And there's going to be a tendency in you when you hear me today and the tendency is gonna go something like this even though it might be a little more polite you get them get them preach you're gonna sit back oh this is a this is a lazy boy day. a lazy boy is a recliner lean back soak it in feel glad hit him in the mouth hit him hard. hard. And I would have you remember with me that the only place, to quote my professor Reggie Kid, who's given me a lot of ideas about this today, the only place that the New Testament speaks anywhere that could be described as prescriptive about the tithe is Jesus yelling at some tithers. Okay? So, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus meets up with some tithers. Some people who give a tenth of their income. They're more scrupulous than most of you. When Grandma gives them a gift, they give 10% off of that. When they get an income return, they give 10% off of that. When they have a little organic garden in the back with some herbs and spices, some cumin and dill and whatever other things that people grow in gardens, Legal or illegal, they don't do it. They even tie it on that. Whew. They are some kind of scrupulous givers. And Jesus says these kind things to them meek and mild, little Jesus. Whoa. Not like to a horse, but whoa. W O E, which is bad. Curse, hypocrites! He says, "You're play actors. You're blind guides. You're you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You're you're maggoty inside. You look all spelt and shiny and religious and good." And inside you got rotten corpses in there. you got everybody in the world full. You're as righteous as can be on the outside, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Because you're using the tithe, you're using your offerings to God as a way to keep God off your back. To adopt a mentality of, well, I already already gave at the office. How much do I have to give? Do I round the decimal? You're, You're giving as a way to keep you away from God when what I mean for your giving to do is to enter you into the heart of God so that you can be part of His ongoing maintenance program for the entire world. So you're missing the boat entirely. Now, I say all this so that if you are someone who presently tithes, you will not think this sermon is not addressed to you. It is addressed to you. It might even be especially addressed to you. But there are other people in here who, well, they don't tithe. And there are numerous reasons for that. They they don't maybe think they should. They don't think they can. They don't have enough. Strapped with debt. Too many bills. And for those of you in that condition, my hope is that if I do this right, you'll start saying, huh, maybe I'm missing out on something. Maybe I'm missing out on something quite privileged and grand that God wants me to be a part of, and by not doing it, I'm missing out. So God says this through Moses. Be sure. Make certain. Set a reminder for yourself. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, your new wine and oil, the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord You're God always. From the get-go, as they say, you realize that God has instituted this thing called the tithe, which is, just to be precise, 10%, the tenth of your income, of your wealth, of your produce, and this is an agrarian culture. You're about to grow things, and you're going to have a crop And when you harvest that crop, I want the best part of that crop to be given to me, a tenth part of it. I want to be given to me in worship. And here's why. Because I need gas money and I'm broke. And I need... Nope. That's not why God wants it. He's not broke. He does not need gas money. Here's what he says. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So right off the bat, you say, okay, this is a practice... For people who are entering into ordinary life, ordinary flourishing times, this is a practice that is given by God to teach people how to revere God. Get that in your head. That's why this was instituted. This is what God says. I want you to give a tenth, he says, to these Israelites who are about to go into the promised land. You know we've been talking about this. They spent 40 years wandering about in the desert not tithing. They didn't have nothing. There were no crops. They were receiving from God each day. They're going into the promised land where there's going to be lots of stuff. They're going to have bumper crops. It's going to be lush. They're going to live high on the hog, as they say. And so he says, I want you to be sure when you have all this, that you give the first part of it so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God. And that gives us a clue of one thing of how to think about our Christian life in general. is this way. We live most of our life not in an emergency. Let me repeat that. I heard this from Ann Voskamp by way of Kathy. I think it is a very helpful thing to remember for us Most of our lives are not in an emergency. Do you understand this? The only exception is that if you are really, really economically and socially poor in here this morning, and some of you are, if you've got $2.47 to your name, then gas money is an emergency. How you're going to get to work tomorrow is an emergency. If you get a flat tire, that's an emergency. And we have people in our community who are like that. But most of you are not in that position. So most of you live your life in ordinary times. Now, a year and a half ago, we had a tornado come through this part of the country, this part of the mountain even, further up north than Hinkle. The, the metropolis just 10 minutes north of here. That was an emergency. In emergency times, people do emergency things. They throw off all their ordinary things. They, they, they don't do their normal jobs. They all band together and they do something exceptional. They do something out of the ordinary because the situation calls for it. So lots of you guys, when that tornado came through, you know what you did? You didn't go to work. You went to work for people who needed help. You gave extra money. Money that let the church kind of be like an insurance program for the uninsured. Fixed houses, cleaned up massive amounts of things. It was fantastic. And it was an emergency, and I heard people afterwards saying, we've got to get ready for next time. Next time this comes, we've got to be better prepared. And in my mind, I thought, why? It was an emergency, and we responded to the emergency. What we need to do is figure out how to live in ordinary times. And tithing is God's habit for His people to live in ordinary times. When you get up and go to work, when you have bills to pay, when every seven days you come to worship Him. It's part of the ongoing, ordinary life of following Jesus for people who are not called to go to exceptional places, but are called to follow Him right here today in the middle of their workaday lives, in the middle of their economic realities. It's for ordinary times, and it's for the ongoing maintenance of what God is doing on the earth. It's important to see that. He says, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. This is why I've given you this. You're about to go into the promised land. Things are going to be fairly normal. They're going to be fairly ordinary. You're going to have a lot. I want you to give the first tenth so that you can learn to revere me. And that gives us a symbol, too, of learning how to think about this because this isn't just a way for God to raise money, even though it does help him with his ongoing program on the earth, which we'll see in a minute. But this tithe is really like a symbol. When we do weddings, there are two customary vows that people will take when they give the rings, when they exchange rings with one another. One of them is from the Book of Common Prayer, and it goes like this. The man will say to his wife there, as he places the symbol of his promises on her hand, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow. And with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that woman will then wear on her hand a symbol of the promise of this man to be entirely and forever hers. The woman will give a symbol as well, a similar symbol which is easy to say I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you and the man, the husband will get to wear a symbol of his wife's promises that she has said I am yours and all that I am is yours, we belong to each other when we call it Christ's tithe, the Lord's tithe, the first fruits belong to the Lord when Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with your first fruits, it's a way of us saying, Lord, all that I am and all that I have are yours. It's a recognition. It's part of reverencing. Everything that I have was handed over to me in the first place. And I, by your kindness, have recognized that and so I'm going to give you this symbol back the first bit that comes to me. The first bit of income, the first bit of wealth. I'm handing it over to you to say all that I am and all that I have is for you because God has given you this so that you can learn to revere Him. So that you can learn to praise Him. It's a way of making space in your life for God and His concerns. That's part of the reverencing. And so I'd ask you this as you listen to me is the way that you give and use money right now have the tendency that God is fantastic do your giving habits if you have any do they have the tendency of making you say wow look at how amazing God is look at how kind God is look at how wonderful God is if not you're probably doing it wrong Because this tithe exercise in ordinary times is supposed to help you learn to revere the Lord your God always. To think he's the most important thing in my life. Everything comes from him. Everything is about him. I must have space for him in my life. I had an opportunity recently to think about this non-economically. I was thinking about my car. Some of you have seen my car and I'm sorry. My car doubles as an office, as a library, as a trash can, and it is a transport machine as well. But one of the things that I realize is that when I don't make it a habit or a concern of mine to keep the car non-trash canny or non-library or non-officey, then what I am doing is making a decision, without even realizing I'm making a decision, that I can't give anyone a ride. Sometimes that means my kids. Dad, can we ride with you? Sure, if you don't mind sitting on Calvin's Institutes and 700 other books and some trash. But if I see somebody coming up the mountain who needs a ride up the mountain, well, I can't give them a ride if I don't have any space. And not having any space gives me a clever excuse to say, oh, I can't give them a ride, I don't have any space. Well... That's the way a lot of us have configured our economic life right now. We can't even think about giving anything to God because we've already made a decision that we're not ever going to help anyone or help show reverence or learn reverence to God because we've already made all the decisions. We're spending more than we have, we're letting other people dictate to us what we need, we spend all our money, and then we don't have any space. And so we've already decided, I've got no room to help anybody else. If you belong to Jesus, and I know lots of you do, you want to help people. You would like to be generous, but you've already made decisions that you can't be. You're too indebted. You, you, your, your life's like my car, too filled up with trash and stuff. And so now there's no space. And so God says, we're right off the top. When you get paid, when you harvest your crops, three of you in here are farmers? Maybe less than that. Negative three in here are farmers. Whenever you get paid, whenever you get money, whenever you have wealth, off the top, give that to God. So that you can learn to revere Him. Now, one of the ways that you'll learn to revere him, here's what's interesting. When you start making space for him in your life, when you start making space for God in your economic life, whether you have a very little bit or a lot, what's going to happen is you're going to find some pretty amazing things happening, I think. And this is why I believe that the, God, that the Bible gives you so many kinds of inducements to give. Because, guess what? God knows that we are panicky people about money. Do you know this? Like God realizes that you need money. God realizes that you've got to pay the mortgage. God realizes that you've got to buy new shoes for those kids who need a new pair of shoes every two weeks. God knows that you've got to get your plumbing fixed and you've got to educate people and you've got to buy food and prices are rising and you've got to pay for retirement and all that stuff. God knows all of that stuff. Do you believe that He knows all that stuff? Well, in the Bible... One of the things that's happening all the time is God tries to reassure people as He's asking them to be generous, as He's asking them to give to Him, as He's asking them to learn to revere Him, He tries to reassure them right in the spot of their nervousness, right smack dab in their apprehension, because He knows this. He's smarter than you. You realize this, right? God's smarter than you, more resourceful and smarter. He knows that you'll figure out that if He says, give a tenth, Give away money, that when you give away money, you will not have the money that you gave away. This is simple algebra. No, it's simple addition and subtraction. If you give away money that you could use for yourself, you will not then, by full disclosure, have it to spend on yourself. Do you understand this? It's a very complicated concept. Well, God knows that. And so, it says things like here in Deuteronomy, at the end of this passage that was read, he says, keep giving these tithes so the priests can be paid, so the aliens, the fathers, the widows, they can come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Like, I know you're going to give some of this, but look, I'm going to keep blessing. There's more from where that came from proverbs when it says honor the lord with your first fruits it then says and your barns will be overflowing you'll have kegs and what does say that you'll have lots of wine you'll have plenty in other words god's going to make sure of it jesus says the same kind of thing he says looky here nervous people the people in the world who don't know God and have God, they're eat up with worry about what they're going to wear, where they're going to live, what's going to happen to them in retirement. But they have to worry about that because they've got no God to worry about that for them. So they act like a God, and they spend all their time worrying about that. They're eat up with it. But not so you. Your Father takes care of everything. He's going to take care of you, so seek Him. And all the other stuff will be added to you as well. The Apostle Paul says a similar thing. It might be more complicated than our minds can understand, but he says to the church in Corinth, when he's urging them for this offering for the poor people in Jerusalem, he says, okay, now here's the deal. When you get seeds, you know how seeds work, right? Even if you're non- farmer-esque, isk, isk, like me. Apparently, what you do with a seed is you put it in soil and cover it up, and then it dies, and then it creates something, and then, boom, stuff grows out of the ground. Is this something like what happens with the seed? Now, that process, when you back up, you realize, hey, God has embedded into the very fabric of the universe this process where you plant the seed... And the seed then grows. You don't do some kind of David Copperfield abracadabra once you plant it. Like, you can water it, but God gives the growth. There's some process that you don't make happen. It's very freeing for new parents when you realize, when you're checking every 32 seconds to make sure your baby's still breathing. Have any of you ever done that? It's a breathing. At some point, you have this epiphany. Wait a second, wait a second. I don't keep that baby breathing. Somehow or another, by magic, by God's magic, that baby keeps on breathing. And so do each of us. And so he makes the seeds grow. And Paul says, you know how you got the seeds? God gave you the seeds. And if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. And here's what I'd like you to do. Be so doggone generous that here's what God's going to do. You're going to reap generously, and God's going to make sure that you... Have all you need, all the time, so that you can keep on doing good, always. It's very much like what God tells the Israelites in Malachi. Test me in this. Stop robbing me. Test me in this. And see if I want to open up the floodgates of heaven. These are the kinds of things the Bible says if they're not counterweighted with something else, they can lead you to all the stuff you see on certain television stations. You want to get rich? Give God some money. Because the Bible, in a way, talks like that. That's not the whole story. But God's story is, He gives money to us that we can give it back to Him and be part of this ongoing work that He has in the world to take care of our families, but also to take care of people who have got nobody else to take care of them. To make sure that the church, that the worship of God's people can be carried out. To make sure that people who, who govern in God's church can be remunerated for their labors. God wants His whole program to be funded by His generosity to people who are giving their generosity back to Him. And you get to participate in that, and the Bible is always reassuring you, you're not going to lack, you're not going to lack, you're not going to lack. Well, so I heard this story, and I'm going to read it to you. Somebody in our congregation, whose name I won't say now, but emailed me this about a year ago. And said, hi, Eric, because that is still my name. You were asking for stories about tithing. Well, my husband has always tithed for our family, she said. So I give away that it is a woman. She has a husband. However, I have never been very good at tithing from my part-time jobs. The money just seemed to always drain out of my account just as fast as it went in. Do some of you have a vast gaping hole in your bank account? like a leak in your oil pan. She says, When we started attending Rock Creek regularly, I was really convicted that I needed to start giving. Good, good. I made a point, she said, of having the cash in hand for Sunday mornings. The result has been interesting. I can't say that I have really changed my spending habits, but my account never seems to get really low anymore. What? Huh? Well, those of you who do this know that it's not weird at all. In fact, the majority of the student loan I had taken out to make up for the fact that I'm not working as many hours is still sitting in my savings. Do you understand what's happening here? So like in normal economic terms, if you... St- slow down your work, and you increase your expenses, you have less money, All right? I'm a financial mastermind, and she's saying, I started giving, and somehow or another, inexplicably to me, my income went down, but my expenses, which went up, somehow, I'm not in deficit, That's really interesting, she said, and I agree. So I noticed this and thought I should mention it to you, and she was right. She should have. That is awesome. Earlier this week, I received an email from my employer saying that they had been going over the accounts, and they realized that I had not been getting my full commissions due to duplicate customer accounts. Sounds like a scandal to me. She says this, to make a long story short, they are sending me check, checks, a check later this week to make up for missed commissions dating back to 2004. Seven years of missed commissions coming to me. I can't say for certain that all this is due to starting to tithe on a regular basis, but it sure is a nice coincidence. I hope you and your family have a blessed thanksgiving. It sure is a nice coincidence. It strikes me that in a world filled with economic uncertainty, in a world where you are very tempted, just like these Israelites were going to be very tempted to, as they start acquiring things, they're going to think that those things provide the security for and the meaning in their lives and that those things, therefore, have to be held on to. And what God says is, I want you to learn how to reverence me. And if you will do this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a lot of really interesting coincidences. The Bible's full of promises about this. You're going to have a lot of very interesting coincidences. Like where you can't make the budget work out, but you're giving anyway, and somehow or another God makes it work out. I don't know how. It's amazing. And when you're doing it, you start to revere God all the more. You say, oh my goodness, God's involved in my economic life. It's so easy right now to live as if God doesn't exist. It's so easy to go out your day not counting on God to do anything. Start giving away money that you need. And you'll count on God to do something. This is exactly why Dr. Fowl, the long-term pastor at First Press, legendary dude, reverential dude when a man came to him one time and said i've been converted but i'm not changing why am i not changing and he said well bring me my your checkbook and let me see i can tell you the answer by looking at your checkbook i think luther said a christian has to have two conversions the conversion of the heart and the conversion of the wallet this is your chief rival your chief form of security. Your chief form of building a life and a name for yourself. And God says, I want you to have this regular habit of giving to me so that you can learn to revere me. It's a way of making space. It's a way of honoring me so you don't honor your own, your own insight or you don't honor other means of provision. You recognize that everything you have comes from God. And it's a way of getting to see all these amazing things coincidences in your life Dallas Willard says someplace hey if you don't sometimes cut the limb off that you're standing on you won't ever get a chance to see that limbs have strange ways unaccountable ways of holding even when they're not attached that's what God wants his people of faith to know that's what he wants them to know He wants you to give this tenth so that you can learn to revere him, so you can make space in your life, so that you can marvel at his provision and all the coincidences and air quotes that he brings about. And it's also just such a strong way of bridling your desires, which are really out of control. He says, look, here's what you're going to do. Don't neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they don't have any allotment or inheritance of their own. And at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who I just mentioned three seconds ago, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, remember, not Martians, but foreigners, people who don't have a safety net here, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. See, one of the things that God's intending is to create this really magnificent community of people who are looking out for one another. That's what the church is. The church is this community that God has has inhabited that shares what they have so the world can marvel and so that people who don't have a family, well, they got one now. So people who don't have economic resources, well, they got help now because we're willing to share what we have. I think about this. This tithe, this act of giving regularly is a way of bridling your desires. I was watching AFV, America's Funniest Videos. Our boys like to watch this before bed sometimes. It's very, you know, edifying to watch people get hit in the crotch in all sorts of different ways. That's not all that happens, but that's mostly what happens. Well, there was this one scene at a wedding. All kinds of interesting things happen on AFV at weddings. But in this particular wedding, it was at the reception, and the bride was soon to throw her bouquet of flowers behind her. And there was a line of expectant and eager, one-day brides-to-be's there, hoping to catch it. There was one woman, about my size, in a three-point stance, She was eager. She was locked in. She was going to catch the pass. There was, just to set the scene, over here, a small child. Maybe three. Maybe 32 pounds. Right there. Woman in her three-point stance. The bouquet comes. It's over there. She catches that sucker. Her eyes are locked in. And too bad for the three-year-old. She leveled the three-year-old. She smashed the three-year-old. Now, I assume the three-year-old did not die or they wouldn't have shown it on AFV. But it was one of these moments that was so very embarrassing for this woman because she realized in that moment she, she forgot everything else. And it was right there on video forgotten everybody to see. She forgot everything else and she demolished a kid to get that thing that she thought she had to have. See, that's what happens to us. We have such insatiable desires for a new fall wardrobe, for a new car every so often, for a new kitchen, for a new vacations, for a new this and that and this. And we spend and we spend and we crave and we lust for things. And you know what we do? You wind up using people for money. Or ignoring people, trampling them. Because you want money. Because you want what money provides. Because you want the stuff of it. God means for money to be used to help people, not to trample them. And so he gives you this thing, of, a way of bridling your desires. To say, you know what? It's got to be a regular part of my life that I give off the top of what I make so I remember all of it's been handed to me by God, that God's the one who provides for me. And as a way of keeping my heart in check so that I am using money as a servant and it's not become my master. It's not leading me to trample people. It's not leading me to to disregard the needs of others because I've already made previous decisions. Well, I'm going to be, I can't pay God. I'm going to be paying Citibank for the rest of my life. I can't help anybody else. I've got to pay for this big old house for the rest of my life. I've got this fancy car. There ain't no way I can help that non fancy person. And so God says. Be sure to set aside from your income a tenth. Now, it's my last thing. People will say, "Well, I, I can't do that. I can't afford it." Jonathan Edwards, in one place, said, "You know, it's interesting because rich people, and I, have, I've said this, and I still maintain, I don't know one rich person that people normal people would think of as rich who thinks they're rich." Okay, nobody thinks they're rich because there's always somebody richer. Rich people say, "I can't, I can't give anymore. I don't, I can't afford to give anymore because I, I, need it for my family, for our life." So, and people in the middle will say, "Well, I can't, I can't, I can't afford to give anymore because I, because my family needs it because." And poor people say, "Well, I can't afford to give anymore because I can't, I, I don't have anything else to give." And so you run into this interesting situation where the Bible calls us to this responsive generosity, and nobody, rich, middle, or poor, has anything extra to give. And he brings up this interesting conclusion. Is it perhaps because what we mean when we say, I can't give any more, is that we mean, I can't give any more without inconveniencing myself or my lifestyle. He says, isn't it peculiar that Paul says, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we act as if, well, I would like to bear your burden, but not if it's going to in any way burden me. You know, you can't bear somebody's burdens without being burdened yourself, right? And so one of the things that God's trying to do, because most of you who are in economic burdened hood right now, a lot of it's because you spend so much money on yourself and the maintenance of your own family, and it's a burden to you. It winds up being a burden and you hate it. God wants you to be free from that so that you can be burdened by the needs of others and therefore participate in the kinds of things that He cares about in the world. Orphans, widows, the fatherless, caring for the needs of others, the flourishing of His church, the the sending out of built-up saints into the world to be little Christ. Christ cares about this. Gave His life for this. Withheld nothing from us so that we could be made rich and now calls us to join hands together to do this. To bear the burdens of others. I wonder if you'll do it. T- tithing is this habit that God means for the r- growth in reverencing Him. He gives you lots of assurances. That if you do it, you won't be sorry. But you've got to try it. And if you're somebody who tithes and has been tithing and it doesn't increase your awe of God, here's my advice give more, grow in the grace of giving, give more. Give until you get a burden on yourself from someone else. That's why C.S. Lewis could say about this. What does the New Testament say about giving? How much should we give? And he says, I don't know. I think the only test is this. If the amount of money I make and the people around me who make the same amount of money, if we can live exactly the same way, I'm probably not giving enough. Because God's people ought not be able to live as well as their neighbor's who make the same amount of money because we're too busy giving away a portion of what we could use for ourselves, but we won't because we've got the heart of Him who gave all for us so that we could join Him in His ongoing maintenance program of advantaging the disadvantaged in the world. Let's pray. And grab your bulletin because we're going to do a prayer confession. Father, hear us for a few moments as we privately confess our sins to you, as we look at ourselves and own up to the ways that we've failed, the ways that we've rebelled, the ways that we need you to clean us up. Hear our silent prayers of confession.